I just remember every single day walking into the unknown and having no idea what that day was going to bring and you know if we'd even still be alive at the end of the, that day and, and that was like every single day for seven weeks it's pretty exhausting welcome to okay. the rome podcast it's great to have you here thanks for joining us nice yeah to see you guys it's great to see you we i guess we are we've done this like 16 times or something like really? that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we've been cranking away on this endeavor. We've been yeah. calling it Rome from home, but I think we're just going to start calling it the Rome podcast. Yeah. Pretty soon. Yeah. Because pretty soon people aren't necessarily home. That's right. Like not that's, to the same extent as the last hope. couple months. That's what we hope. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's what we hope. That but what we, we are hope. super excited to have you on today. Thanks for joining us from the shores of Lake Tahoe. Yes, uh, it's quite nice here today. It looks quite nice. Dallas um, <laughs> here in Colorado. Uh, but we, uh, we have a thing where we let our guests introduce themselves. Oh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Hillary Nelson, uh, introducing yourself. Yeah, go. Uh, Go. Um, Go. Well, let's see. My name is Hillary Nelson, but you got that already. And uh, I am a ski mountaineer by profession. I've been doing this for a very long time. I won't quite tell you how long, but a long time. I go on big expedition style skis. So you carry your skis for three or four weeks and then you ski for like a day. Uh, <laughs> Very fun. Uh, I live in Telluride, Colorado, but I do spend some time here in Lake Tahoe with my partner, Jim Morrison. I have two kids. They're 11 and 12. My 12 year old is six foot one and he's already bigger than me. So yeah, he's a giant. Um, he's six one he's now? Six one. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. See, the last time I saw him, he was like <laughs> belly button. To, he was like my belly button, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that was like. And that was like two years ago. Yeah. It's been, wow. it's been an interesting ride with him. Um, he's a 12 year old boy trying to be an 18 year old or act like one. Um, what else? Uh, I have been on the North face team for most of my career. I just took on the role of athlete captain from Conrad Anchor. Um, I also do a lot of like speaking engagements and travel around for that with National Geographic. Obviously, most of that has come to a screeching halt in the last couple of months. Um, yeah, I think that is that it in a nutshell. Was that a proper a proper intro? I don't know. <laughs> is, is it is it it in a nutshell? I don't know. I mean, that's why we let people do it because I feel like, and Chris and I bat this back and forth, but. It, you know, it's funny to read a list of accomplishments and I think it's sort of anybody that I know and I know you quite well, I think yes. that feels almost awkward, you know, when yeah. somebody's just like sitting there listing the bullshit. So we flip it yeah. and it's just like, well, you know, right. what do you actually want to say about yourself? Right. So, Except for me, if you, leave, if you leave the silence, I'll fill it and I'll, but I'll probably fill it with like weird things. Like I like to sew. Um, 
you like to stow. See, that's <laughs> we great. We didn't know that. That we that's well, that's yeah. not even in any of the literature, <laughs> the research. That's Wait, a, what what kind of sewing? I'm just curious. Um, mostly napkins, actually, cloth napkins. It's very um, meditative. They're cloth doilies. <laughs> Sweet. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Can I have some for Christmas? That's what <laughs> like I mean. monogram? Do you do ones like pocket kerchiefs and stuff? <laughs> no, not really. Just very basic things to sort of keep my mind off of other things. So I just, I want people to understand. I know you said you weren't going to tell us how long. So I'll say north of 20 years. Yeah. Um, and um you, how did you get started in all this? Because I think especially for our, our, our young listeners that that's really important information. I actually got started, I mean, relatively late in life. I didn't go on my first, you know, I, I skied my whole life. I was since I was three, um, but I didn't do my first rock climb until I was 19. I didn't um, put skis on to go uphill until I was probably 20. Uh, I would really attribute my start to going to Chamonix right after I graduated from university. I didn't have any like commitments or anything. My parents' college present to me was a one-way ticket to France, which is a whole different story. But um, I ended up in France and because I had a one-way ticket, I stayed for five years. And uh, Where did you go Chamonix. to school? I'm just curious. I don't, I don't even know. Um, I went to school at Colorado College, which oh, okay. is a unique little private school that runs on the block system, which is actually what I'm hearing from a lot of teachers, how a lot of schools might start post-COVID post is a lot of universities and schools may end up looking at a block system in order to keep things in segments moving forward. What about, that's where what, I went where, to school. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Seattle, Washington, okay. which is obviously it's sort of, that's sort of funny because I know a lot of mountaineers and climbers moved to Seattle because of the mountain community there. But I actually didn't, you know, I grew up skiing there, but I didn't grow up in a mountain family. I grew up in a water family. So I spent most of my time on a boat in the San Juan Islands, up in Canada, et cetera. Um, and I actually left Seattle to ultimately sort of discover my path in the mountains. What did you, what did you study at school? Biology. Biology. Biology so and is, chemistry, yeah. This is funny, because I'm sure, like, Hillary <laughs> and I have been on a lot of trips together. Yeah, and, all and a over lot the of really together. hard ones, like gnarly ones. Yeah. Like ones just to like kind of rub yeah. you to your, like to rub the bone kind of bare. Yeah. But I, this is funny because I'm sure we've talked about this stuff on the trail, but yeah, like it's, it's still fun because it's almost new information for me right now. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't I think a lot it. of our time on the trail has been sort of in hunched over in tears and those and kinds bitching. of trail moments and yeah, bitching. Just... <laughs> yeah. Why is it so hot? Why is it so cold? <laughs> What are these bugs for? I hate bugs. <laughs> I saw a post just recently, Hillary, you, you uh, went back to, I think it was 2014, Burma. You guys were on a trip together where you... Yeah. yeah that, that's a cool story. I, you were, or maybe not cool, but exciting. <laughs> interesting. That, yeah, interesting yeah. that you were broken down in the dark on a motorbike 
sort of not not truly abandoned but forgotten for a moment Corey yeah. and the others were forward and no no it, it was abandonment we just did oh yeah we're oh like, you guys knew it. you're like, like hillary's <laughs> out <laughs> she's out but, she's gone you, yeah that's what i literally what stumbled yeah. i literally stumbled across that video and i'd never seen it before and um it was with taylor reese who was because my bike broke down and she was behind me so she was the only one who actually was forced to stop because she couldn't get around me to keep going <laughs> so she had to stop um but uh renan corey and emily harrington all were ahead and just um i mean it was probably a really low we had a lot of low points on that trip, but this was like the end of seven weeks. We we're trying to get out of the jungle. Um, it, it was insane. We'd been, I think, one of the most remote, desperate places I've ever been. Would you agree with that, Corey? I mean, you've been to a yeah. lot of places. I mean, I think so. So actually, I'll have you. There's so, this is funny. I don't know exactly how this conversation is going to go. There's so much to talk about with you. <laughs> Um, you know, there's so much psychologically that we can go into, but I think having you set the scene for this story is actually pretty cool. Um, so you, why don't you do that? And then I can fill yeah. in the gaps. Well, I mean, something really unique that I've now learned in hindsight about this expedition to Burma was that it really forced me into making a lot of changes in my life that have put me to where I am today. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that expedition for those reasons, but uh, it was, you know, fall of 2014, we were with, we had a, a really intense group um, that was funded with a grant from National Geographic. We were going to try to document the height of the highest peak in Southeast Asia. Um, called Hakakabo Razi. And I mean, I spent two years trying to organize and plan this trip with sort of the co-expedition leader, Mark Jenkins, who was a staff writer for National Geographic at the time. And we all, every single one of us on that trip loves adventure. We're, we're very driven, etc. But this just ended up being um, one of those true adventures where everything kind of went wrong and uh it was intense our team imploded that's not something that happens every day um, a lot of times in adversity the team becomes stronger but in this particular case the adversity just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and eventually we all fell apart at the seams i think that's fair to say we pretty much all fell apart at some point and, um, and then it was just sort of about making it out um, and, and surviving and what that looks like. Um, and it was intense. It took me a long time to recover from that trip. Seven, seven, we said seven weeks? Seven weeks, yeah. We didn't, we didn't make our objective. Um, our team sort of split with Corey, Renan, and Mark trying for the summit. Emily and I hung back. Taylor Reese was also there. She was the base camp manager. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of like parallels to what we're going through even globally today without like 
making too much of a stretch, but I, I just remember every single day walking into the unknown and having no idea what that day was going to bring and where we were going to sleep, where we were going to find food or what we were going to eat or, or, or what, you know, if we'd even still be alive at the end of the, that day. And, and that was like every single day for seven weeks. It's pretty exhausting and stressful. I mean, I, I think we walked around almost near to 100 120, 150 miles each way from the each way from <laughs> so from the end of the road which by the way wasn't much of a road it, you know it was like passable by by motorcycle and then and, and then so 120 or 150 miles into yeah. the tibetan border and then the same distance out and i i remember all of us sort of um like it was just it was that classic slow reduction to the point where yeah. you know you're left with just the soupy bits and yeah. it gets thicker and more viscous and and that was sort of how personalities sort of um, distilled as well to the point where you're left with just the raw elemental parts of it good or bad so bitter or sweet um, yeah. but what do you think I mean like I, I, I'm surprised we're actually here right away because that's what. Yeah, I, I know. That we wasn't where. Right yeah, yeah. <laughs> but why do you think? Like, I haven't talked to you really about it. I mean, I've seen the films. I know what we say on camera. Why do you think yeah. it fell? But why do you think we fucking blew up the way we did? I mean, this is. I haven't actually thought about it in years, and I think that's. Yeah, it's funny it's because I I have to think about it all the time because that's what I, that's mostly what I talk about when I go on these. Right. Geo live talk. So I guess one thing I've really looked at for myself personally was like what was going on, like the baggage I carried into that trip, and it was significant. Just um, was sort of the the point where my marriage was really on the rocks. Um, I was under a lot of pressure as you know kind of one of the leaders carrying this national geographic grant and really worried that if i wasn't successful then not only would i sort of lose opportunity with national geographic but i felt like my position just as a pro athlete was in question at that time you know i my kids were so little at that point i was so so in the throes of mom guilt the whole time, which is pretty intense. Um, what does what does mom guilt feel like? I mean, what does oh, that look like God, internally? It's like um, it's basically like a constant dialogue. I, I sometimes refer to it as like the the hamster wheel in my head, where I'm just going back and forth of like. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I need to be home with my kids. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be, you know, and, and that, and if you can imagine that is going on constantly in the background. I mean, my kids were, how old were they? Four and five at this point, four and four and six, I think. So really little, um, mm. and just determined and also, um, just, trashing myself over and over just I should be home I can't believe I'm here why am I here what am I doing 
and that that wasn't unique to that wasn't unique to Burma. I mean, I had that on Everest and Lhotse as well. I, um, it's much better now with my kids being older, but it was really intense then. I mean, I, to me, I think mom guilt is pervasive with a lot of moms. I could be over speaking, but I mean, I would get mom guilt for going on a run when I was home, you know, and my kids were babies and I was like, oh, I left the house for three hours, you know? So then extrapolate that to taking a seven week expedition away. And it just, it, it compounds significantly. Mm. It sounds like, it sounds like you're shooting on yourself a lot. <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was one thing I learned uh, a takeaway from Burma was to try to breathe a little bit more and be a little nicer to myself. I mean, it, the funny thing is, I think with, with mom guilt or parent guilt, um, have your kids ever said anything about you being gone or, or does never, or, or is it, yeah. Is it more just an internal dialogue? It's an internal dialogue. I mean, I, I, maybe this speaks to me being a mom, but I don't think my kids have ever once even been like, mom, I miss you. I wish you would come <laughs> home. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> They're always like, They're like, it's fun when you're gone. <laughs> it's fun when you're gone. Um, no, but, and I, you know, I get asked this a lot, but I, you know, my kids don't know any different. I went on my first expedition when my first son was 10 months old and, uh, um, when I'm home, I'm 100% hands-on, 24-7, probably to a, a, a suffocating extent. Um, and I feel really fortunate that, you know, I can have that sort of black and white between work and mom. But at the same time, like my kids are, especially now, they, they're never like, oh, I wish you hadn't done that. They, um, they very much, what are you doing next? Who are you going with? Uh, what can we learn about it um, that, you know, so it's, it's, it's very much my own internal dialogue. So we're, we're on this trip after 40 days or 30 days or something like we just blew apart. And that, I think I remember it. Yeah. I remember being somewhat caught in the middle of that because, you know, as a the photographer on the expedition, I felt like, I had to be in certain places. And at the same time, I felt like there was almost some psychological warfare taking place yeah. between, uh, you know, between all of us really. But yeah. um, I mean, how did that, so, so to tell it, walk, walk people through that a little bit. What happened? I mean, cause we were... I want to get to the good stuff cause you've had like this meteoric rise after this in like an <laughs> insane way. So I just want to get the darkness out of this and get all the lessons extrapolated <laughs> so you can talk about how rad you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have to put the trip into context. Like Mark, you know, he, Mark Jenkins has been around in the, in the adventure world for a very long time. He's very, I think fair to say very old school, hard line, um, do it, no excuses, blah, blah. And uh, we decided early on that we wanted to make it an overland expedition. So instead of just flying to our destination, we were going to travel overland from south to the most northern tip of Burma, which many people don't even know, myself included, when this first started was that you know, this is the very eastern edge of the Himalayas, so it's really raw mountains. And uh, 
we went first by a public bus for 24 hours and then a boat and then a train that almost killed all of us. The train, I think, was the scariest part of the whole trip. And then we flew in a domestic flight overland a bit. And then we got on scooters and then we walked 150 miles and it took us a month just to get to base camp. And we'd never seen this mountain before, no pictures of it. And uh, all I think we, we kept it together as a team really well throughout that month. But I, at least I know for me personally, I expected once we got to the mountain for everything to be easy because, oh, well, now we're in the mountains. We all know the mountains. This is our element. We got this. And it really just turned out to be an alpine version of the jungle that was just like totally meandering. We dead ends. We had no idea where we were going. The, the weather was just really bad and cold and windy and um we ran out of food and uh it just we went into survival mode and people respond differently to survival mode sometimes it brings out the good side in you and sometimes it doesn't and i think we all cycled through like i think i i saw some of the most brilliant sides of myself on that trip but wow did i see some of like the freaking worst sides of myself on that trip and um I think it's safe to say we all went through that and, and they, they weren't necessarily coordinated and that led to a lot of like disagreements that led to um, me telling Mark to fuck off at one point. <laughs> Excuse me, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but uh, in true nature to myself, I did apologize to him before I gave him the F word. Um, I'm about to sorry for what I'm, I'm really about sorry. to say. That's exactly Go fuck yourself. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, yeah. It's on tape even. Um, yeah. So I don't know. There, play the was, clip, Corey. Play yeah, the right. play the clip. <laughs> it's like one of those radio shows. I just have a button and it's yeah. like makes the sound effects. It's Go fuck yourself. No, yeah. I, yeah. I remember. I mean, why, why would you guys just out of, you said that Mark was old school and you guys decided to go overland because the objective, you had a specific objective, which was to, was it to verify the, the highest mountain or, yes. or to measure it, it or? It was to verify it through measuring, which had never really taken place before. It hadn't been measured and it was just assumed this was the highest peak in Southeast Asia. Right. But in order to do that, you didn't necessarily have to go overland, but you decided to make it a bigger, yeah. more so, arduous so, adventure. Yeah, because why not? Right. Well, okay, so, <laughs> I think that's the so, why. Like, <laughs> listeners are like, wait, why? The, so the, a little more, yeah, a little more yeah. backstory to that is basically the, the idea was hatched when essentially this same entire team was on Everest. And we were like, you know, Everest is amazing and it's so difficult in its own right. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly beautiful and harsh mountain, but every step of the way is known. The trek in, um, you have a rope going basically from base camp to the summit of the mountain, if you're, if you're on the regular route, of course. And every step is known and there's a lot of hardship along that path, but you know where you're going. You have a thousand people around you it's it's very there's a lot of comfort to it as well and so 
we wanted to just do the absolute anti-Everest and make it as hardcore and as remote and as suffering, suffer fast as possible. And you wanted to have to accomplish figure that it goal. out. Right. Yeah. You needed to go into the unknown. I mean, that's hard to do now, I think, to find these adventures that are like the, yeah. Well, you actually have to work to make them harder. Right. You know, that's what the, that's the age we live in where um, everything has become so easily facilitated. And um, it's, it's actually a challenge to try to logistically assemble a pathway through whatever it is, a desert, the mountains, the North Pole, that requires complete self-reliance. Because there's yeah. so much infrastructure around in our world now that makes it easy. And, and in fact, when we were there, there was this random billionaire named Teza, who knows if he's a billionaire anymore, who's like, you know, planning on flying helicopters in and two helicopters crashed, and, which is one reason why we didn't take them. But you know what I mean? Like, we could have flown a helicopter to base camp. Right. Yeah. Right. You went old school, like you said. I mean, that like yeah. the true exploration style. But it sounds like it got you. It got us, yeah. I mean, you know, Mark did have some very sort of wise words at the end where, you know, he was like, we, we asked for this and, you know, we got what we asked for. Be careful, be careful what you, what you wish for. And yeah, um, we got what we wanted. It just, we didn't realize it necessarily in the moment. Um, but in hindsight, there's not a lot I would have changed about the experience because I took a lot away from it. And it was like, it was like full tilt adventure. Um, so culturally, so that, mentally, physically, all of the above. So that brings me to something that you brought up right at the beginning of talking about Burma which was what you took away from it and how you had to change your life. You talked about feeling guilt around your family. You talked about um, your marriage. And I mean, you and I, so for people that don't know Hillary and I know each other really well and have talked a lot about, I mean, at the time I was going through a horrific sort of marriage, the end of a marriage for various reasons. So I don't think we connected as deeply on that on this trip but i'm so curious to hear what what you saw that you needed to change and what you have changed and put into action to ultimately just step into a higher echelon of of the pursuits that you've you've been after for so long i mean how did you how did you t transform everything from that trip into what you've accomplished now it took a while. I, it definitely wasn't an overnight transfer transformation, but I think what I have always struggled with is stepping into my own confidence, if that makes sense. And I think what I did regrettably on that Burma trip was like, I was kind of at this lowest point of questioning myself and not accepting that I had experience, that I had knowledge to offer, that I am good at what I do and that, 
And instead I just constantly questioned whether I was good enough and whether I should be there and what, you know, what was I doing wrong? And I think now I've over time learned to uh, sort of freeze that hamster wheel a little bit. It helps that my, my kids have gotten older. That makes a big difference. But I also try to recognize when I'm just being super negative in my head and understand that um, I am good at what I do. Um, I'm allowed to be confident and use that confidence to be successful. And maybe that is something that most people already do. I don't know, um, but uh, it's not something that I possessed at the time. So, I mean, it, the way I'm hearing that is, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I don't want this. It sounds like at the, that point, you were sort of riddled by insecurity. Uh, yeah. and, and it's not to say that it was correctly placed, but it was insecurity. I have this theory that confidence and arrogance come from the same thing, which is our insecurities. This is just my theory that confidence is a reasonable examination of and a celebration of strengths and weaknesses in plain sight, whereas arrogance is a masking of the insecurities. It's a, yeah. it's a projection and bravado. So do you think that like in exchange for the insecurities that you were feeling, you were putting something else forward. And again, I'm literally just asking that then ended up, you know, adding to the team dynamic in a probably, you know, in a, in a way that made it fracturous long-term. So yeah, one thing very, very specifically happened on that trip where um, you and Renan and Mark had decided that, you guys were the best ones to go for the summit and that Emily and I should stay behind. And mm -hmm. I vehemently disagreed and I went into the tent to talk to Renan and Mark. And it was the first time in my life, in my mind that I thought I was standing up for myself and my abilities. And I said, I can do this. Um, but the way I phrased it was, like more like asking Mark for permission. You don't think mm -hmm. I can do this. You don't think I'm good enough at this. And it, at the end of the day, Mark wrote an entire blog about my hubris um, and my arrogance and how I was willing to put the, the life of my teammates at risk. And um, I guess that was where I questioned what, my internal dialogue was with what I was actually putting out there. Mm -hmm. Like were my actions interpreted as arrogance when I thought inside I was really just trying to be like, hey, I got this. I don't, I don't ever want to say that lately. I mean, I have kids at home. I don't ever want to, you know, I take a lot of pride in the fact that no one has ever died on an expedition with me. Um, um, yeah, so th that was what I struggled with is like, like those, those words were so pointed right to my biggest insecurity. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it leveled me for months after that expedition I was trying to mm -hmm. figure out like, am I this arrogant person that's trying to 
kill my teammates. <laughs> um, and it, and it um, took a long time to well, I mean, figure out that difference. Can't, can't we be both? I mean, can't well, we? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, but you can't go into, uh, we all have egos about our totally. pursuits that we choose to do, whether it's in business, whether it's in athletics, whether it's as a parent. Yeah. Um, so we all I mean, have egos and it's just a matter of uh, maybe being able to step aside and analyze that ego every now and again. I mean, I would be the first to admit that like, honestly, I, I, I felt trapped in that situation with you. We were, I want to tell people we were on this like weird knoll that stuck up on the ridge of this mountain. It was one of the most wild camping sites. Like I've, yeah. it was one of the most beautiful places on the planet I've ever seen yeah. and just trapped on this little ridge. And I, I remember feeling actually like almost frustrated by the fact that I, I felt like I had to go, you know, like if, yeah. I think my arrogance was in not saying, Hey, I don't really, I don't want to do this. Like this doesn't even feel good to me. And yeah. so, so I had a degree of arrogance as well. I just, I, so you didn't want to go Corey, <laughs> Hillary, you, you wanted to go with every fiber of your being and Corey, you were like, could have, happily actually been like Hillary you can I mean he did acquiesce at one point and was like have Hillary go and so for a while I was going but then it was really clear that Renan and Mark didn't trust me and I was so exhausted by the whole days back and forth conversations as everybody was I think that um, you know Corey got put on the spot at the very last minute, the morning everybody was leaving. Cause I was like, that's it. I'm not going. I can't, I don't Now I didn't feel right about it. You know, it's you're putting your life in people's hands. They're putting their life in your hands. And I was like, Corey, I'm not going to go. And so he jumped in and went. I mean, that's so funny. Cause I'd forgotten about that completely, but yeah. I, I mean, to, to, and this will, I think this can help shift us into the next phase of this conversation yeah, and it's please. short one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Like, I just wanted to dig at you, Hillary. I'm just like, ah. No, it's so interesting though. I mean, the, that experience you guys are talking about, like the push and pull in a group dynamic, most people can relate to that on some yeah. level, but yeah. you're now weeks and weeks in on this knob overlook, you know, talking about life and death, exhausted. It's just a very, I think the way you're describing it, it's, it's dramatic. It's dramatic to for both of you to have to go through that, and then have to get your way back with that whole same team, and yeah. it's just quite a lot in terms of coming home with that. I think you know maybe that's where you're going, Corey. As far as how well, did you take that and and move on? Well, I, I mean, there's a there's a piece of this that I just. First of all, I think in the show notes, we should put the photo of where we were just so people right. can see. Because right. really, I have the most beautiful photo of Hillary coming out of the tent. Like one of the coolest photos. I mean, it is. It's like a, it was a glorious spot. I mean, and you nice. both have talked about this. I mean, we can, we'll put some links too to, to your talks. Yeah. You both have talked about that in, in more detail in terms of the train and, and that. And there was a film about it. And like, yeah. Um, but I, what I was going to say is I was suffering at that point f still from deep uh, post-traumatic stress 
from an avalanche. So like my whole relationship with climbing and being in the mountains was uh, deeply disturbed and flawed. And that's something, Hillary, that you actually helped me through by recommending EMDR because yeah. you had had an, a very traumatic experience that made you actually step away from all of this for yeah. a year in your life. What did that, yeah. what was that? So, so more uh, easy uh, stuff to talk about. Yeah, this is, this is a super easy subject. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I have never experienced a, a death within my climbing team on expeditions. That is not the true of my career as a guide. So in 2010, um, right after my second son was born, so he was seven months old, my older son was two, I went back to work for the first, my first day back at work, which was heli ski guiding and telluride. And on the second run of the day, um, the, this female snowboarder in the group, she, she fell backwards into a narrow, small river and her head was pinned under an undercut rock and she drowned in under a minute. And I was the only one there and I couldn't get her out. And um, needless to say, it, it destroyed me um, in ways I, I didn't even know I could be destroyed. And uh, it was a year before I was walking across the street and a friend of mine stopped me. Um, I get, I still, I'm like, I'm going to get an emotional note already. Um, but she stopped me and she was, she, she knew everything that had happened, but she was like, you are not okay. You don't look okay. I mean, I hadn't seen this woman in months and just out of the blue, she grabbed my arm and she was like, you have to promise me you're going to go see this person and try this treatment. It's called EMDR. And it really helps with these traumatic stress disorders. And, um, she made me promise. So I went, um, as soon as I could, it was a couple weeks, totally thought it was hokey, whatever, but I knew I was desperate. I needed to do something because I, I was not functioning. And um, I went and I did about five sessions. Um, and I would say it, it, it probably relieved like 80% of my, my pain, <laughs> which is incredible. Um, and now it's been 10 years and I, I'm, I'm functioning. There's, you know, there's still struggles here and there, but um, I, that was incredible. It was, it's an incredible treatment for that sort of a specific traumatic event. And that was what I shared with you um, to try for your avalanche. So, I mean, it's, it, it's I'm, what I guess what I'm trying to do here is paint a picture of the complexity of your existence because so often they you know as as an athlete in our sort of rarefied genre of athletics um it's all about celebrating the badassery but i think it's so important to get into you know the psychological complexities and you are a you know a, a beautiful example of somebody who's walked through a lot of darkness um and come out on the other side and specifically in the past couple of years, you know, we went to Burma, um, you had this traumatic event that you, you know, worked through, you helped me work through mine. Uh, we go to Burma, it's like a 
<laughs> another traumatic event. <laughs> it's another. Tra- I think it was traumatic. It, it was like a train wreck, but not literally, Sounds but traumatic. almost. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and then all of a sudden, you go and you disappear into India, and your DeLorean or whatever device you guys had died. Yeah. And I was somewhere. I forget where. I, I think I was on Everest. And all of a sudden, you guys were two days overdue. Um, and I was pretty, I was, I mean, admittedly, I thought something had happened. Yeah. Tell me about that expedition. Uh, well, that was in 2017. Yeah. And um, this was uh, another mountain, uh, Papsura, totally remote. Nobody's ever heard of it before. Uh, never even, I think, been tra- been attempted by an American or had never been climbed by an American. It hadn't really seen that many summits, but... How high but, is it? Um, to almost 22,000 feet. Okay. So still, it's a big mountain. It's and high. No, it's really it's high. It's high. It's really high. And I first saw Papsura on my very first expedition when I was like 25 years old and I was in India for the first time and the the pilot uh Hansuli Barefoot he he pointed this peak out to me and I remember looking at it and it just it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen and um it's the aesthetics of mountains that 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 draw me in and really like create that excitement but at that point in my life I the mountain terrified me and I really think I spent 20 years trying to gain the skill set to climb and try to ski this mountain. And so in 2017, I went back and it was the first time I'd ever been back to a place for a second attempt. So in all those years, I'd always been going to new places to try new things. And finally in 2017, I was like, I'm going to go back. I tried in 2013 and failed. Um, never even made it you know, onto the face of this mountain. And went back in 2017, a lot of things had changed in my life. I was divorced. I had a new partner, Jim Morrison. Um, we went back with Chris Figginshaw, who was in, there in 2013 with me. Um, and we just hammered and hammered. And basically in 10 days from leaving Delhi, we stood on the summit. Um, and... The ski was more of a descent. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. But because we finished early, we ended up staying up at our high camp and just soaking in the beauty of this mountain. And we stayed there for three days and like our Delorme wasn't working and we weren't really able to be in contact with anyone. And so I think that set the outer, you know, outside friends, et cetera, got a little panicked, but in fact, we were totally fine. Um, um, I remember, and I'm just bringing this up because this is what one thing I, I love about what we do in the mountains is I had spent 20 years obsessing over this mountain. We got there, climbed it in a day, skied this 3,000 foot line that was the steepest, scariest thing I've ever skied. And then that night, um, you know, we spent 18 hours on this peak. We got back to our tent at midnight or something. And um, that night, a storm came in and it sort of snowed the whole next day. And I remember getting out of the tent at the first clearing 
and realizing that every trace of us ever having been on that mountain was gone, wiped away, just erased. And I don't know, it just spoke to, just spoke to me in a, in a really, on a, on a very deep level of, uh, as a metaphor for life, you, you put so much effort into these things and you accomplish them. And at the end of the day, they're inside you. They're not extrovert. They're not outside of you. They're not there for other people to see it. It's, it's, you do it for yourself. And, and that's, I don't know, that's how I felt about Pepsura. It was um, just this incredible, incredible thing. Um, I remember when Jim saw it for the first time, he started crying. Mm. It's just that beautiful of a mountain. So yeah, I'm that's, totally digressing from what no, you No, that's great. Me, but that I've is been, beautiful. Like, way too that is, you just brought us up and out though. That's, a, that's oh my God. of course, that, that was, uh, you know, that, that was just 2017, 2018, you and yeah. Jim, you know, achieved the, like the Holy Grail, one of them in mountaineering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the first descent of the Lotse Kular, which has yeah. been documented in a beautiful movie called Lotse. Um, and, you know, I think this is what Corey was saying, like, you know, that those times in 2014, all those things, like now there's just been this meteoric rise of the Nelson. <laughs> uh, and, you know, certainly Lotse is, you know, what did you feel when you accomplished that? I mean, as you just described the internal versus external, what did you feel when, when you guys did that huge first? So I, I just want to give some background here. Lhotse is the fourth highest mountain in the world. And the Kuar that dissects it, that it's normally climbed by is visible from Everest. And if you Google uh, view of Lhotse or view of Lhotse from Everest or something like that. In fact, we should put this in the show notes too. You'll see this line that dives off the summit of Lhotse. And I want people to look at it because describing it is one thing, but until you see that view from the Southeast Ridge of Everest, you just don't understand how rad this is. Like there's just no way to put it into words. You have to see it. It's not said lightly. Like it's a Holy grail. Like it is truly on the planet. Yeah, it's it's just one of the most, in my mind, aesthetic high altitude lines. Um, and I think that, you know, that goes back to Papsura, like a, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are like, well, why'd you ski the fourth highest mountain in the world? Why didn't you just go ski Everest? It's right there. They share like so much of the same route even. And, um, to me and to, to Jim as well there, and then Corey, I mean, you've climbed low, so you've been in that Kuar. Corey is also a very um, good skier outside of being a climber and a photographer. So he 100% appreciates and gets the, the beauty of that line. I just um, didn't appreciate that I didn't get invited. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, I mean, that, that like, uh, I guess, well, I climbed it in 2012, two years after you, and you were there on that Everest expedition. And I remember um, 
you know, I'd heard about Lotse Day forever. I'd seen all the efforts made to try and ski that, but it wasn't until I was walking down the ridge on Everest and you look, you look at Lotse and you, at least for me, you can't take your eyes off of it. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And um, that particular year was not in ski condition. It was all rock. So when we climbed it, um, you know, it gave me the impression that it would be impossible to make a clean ski descent of it because for sure there would be rappels, there'd be rope work, et cetera, to get down it with skis. And um, when we went back in 2018, if you can imagine, we were putting this whole effort into skiing this beautiful couloir without having seen it at all and seeing what condition it was in because you can't see it unless you're on Everest. Um, and so it wasn't until our summit day, you know, and we, we climbed up the whole Lotse face, which is, you know, percentage wise, even a bigger part of the ski descent than the Lotse Kuar. Um, and that was fortunately in, in good condition, but it wasn't until we actually rounded that corner from the Lotse face and went from that west aspect into sort of this more northerly aspect that we saw the Lotse Kuar for the first time. And uh, I, I, you know, I think I held my breath all the way to the top. I mean, obviously not, it's not possible. There is no breathing up there. Um, but uh, we made it through the choke. We made it through the really steep, grovelly section to the summit. And it was all holding snow. And um, yeah, it was amazing putting our skis on at the top and you're so exhausted from the climb, but all of a sudden it's like you're, you're starting fresh again because um, A, it's a different sport. <laughs> you're not on your feet anymore. You get to slide and ski, but B, just so stoked um, to have the conditions that we got. It's pretty incredible. It's a I mean, gift. It's, gift. It was a gift. It seems like there's been a lot of starting fresh since that, yeah. since 2014. And I, I'm, I'm just curious how you would phrase how that's happened. Because obviously it takes a tremendous amount of personal growth, but also that's translated directly into your athleticism and your accomplishment in the mountains. I, again, I'm trying to pin these things together because I think they are necessarily um, intertwined, but right. somehow you are where you are. What's that, what, what's that transition look like? What does it, just, it feel like? It goes back to just being more aware of what is going on in my mind. I mean, I, I honestly think it's that simple. It's, it's actually stopping for a second breathing and just telling myself like, stop, 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 like stop that negativity and um, look at where you are, appreciate how far you've come, know that you have all these things that you've been through, all these life experiences with just increases the whole toolkit that you have at your fingertips to use and change change that hamster wheel like um and really that's what i have been working on and i honestly think that that has let me 
go be easier on myself, um, that has let me have more success. Hopefully I'm more fun to be around. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> not quite so intense all the you time. Were all, you were always fun to be around. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I think it's just those, those few things um, of just catching, catching myself in, in those negative thoughts, allowing myself to have confidence and uh, trying to really smile when things get tough and just like enjoy it and know that um, I'm not going to the mountains to escape anything anymore. I'm going because I love it and because I have a real goal that I think is worthwhile. And um, that's, that's it. Uh, it sounds simple, but it's, no, it's, it's a all, lot of work. All those experiences <laughs> do not sound simple. Yeah, I'm, no, they don't. Not at not. all from outside. <laughs> yeah. uh, do, do you, you know, you were just saying, just say stop, stop. I mean, it's, I think what you've described, so many listeners could relate to on some level, if not the athletic achievements. Um, do you have a trigger or do you have something like, you know, the, a toolkit when you say, when those negative thoughts come, you know, through all this training and through all this experience, do you have a personal way that you breathe through it or, you know, like an actual, um, yeah, I guess a tool or a trigger that, that you could share? Yeah. I mean, specifically to, the mountains, I know when I start questioning myself or I start, um, fear starts overtaking and, and, and kind of rolling into panic and that feeds into that negative negativity, that sort of feedback loop. I keep saying breathing, but like, I'll try and just stop what I'm doing. Uh, change with, with one thing that really works for me is I try to really change my my, what I'm looking at. And that can be as simple as instead of, you know, looking down into the abyss, I'll turn my body and look at the, the slope right next to me and just, just change the change, change without changing my position of where I am relative to the, to the world. I just simply change what I'm looking at. Your perspective, my perspective, change my perspective and, uh, try and, focus on things that give me confidence and calmness. Sometimes that's thinking about my kids. Sometimes that is like the worst thing to think about. Sometimes uh, it's, sometimes it's thinking about, um, a lot of times I go back to in between Everest and Lotse when I was with uh, my partner, Chris Erickson and debating whether we were going to continue on to Lotse. And I remember I was coughing up blood and I, distinctly was like, all right, we're, we're going to go anyways, we're going to do this. And I'll go back to that moment of like that decision to go when I could have easily just decided to not go. Um, and that's a really positive memory for me. And so I'll, I'll think of that particular moment or something. And, and, and maybe this, all this happens in 30 seconds and that's it. And then I'm like, okay, I got this and I can turn around and start again. 
it's a little more hard for me at home. Like day to day kind of stuff is hard for me. Like COVID-19 lockdown is a little tough. (laughs) Maybe we're, we're, we're eating up time here, but I, I think that that would be, you know, something to touch on and how the last three months, uh, as an athlete who is not able to do some of those things, you know, how have you been doing? I mean, honestly, sometimes it's touch and go. Yesterday was a really tough day for me. Um, I think because I'm so focused on goals, like that's how I keep my motivation is to have that carrot dangling out in front of me. And right now there's a lot of unknown in regard to that. And, uh, um, but I do find myself kind of using the same toolbox when I'm kind of like, ah, how is this going to end? What's going to happen tomorrow? Um, when I'm sort of dwelling on the, on the lack of adrenaline and the excitement, um, lack of excitement is again, just sort of breathing and, you know, thinking of all the, the silver linings around, um, what is our new reality? Cause there are silver linings to it for sure. And, uh, um, yeah, it's still a work in progress though, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, 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 yeah, that's life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you ultimately want to die the, you want to die the best version of yourself there was when you're like 94 and you're like, yeah, this is good as it's going to get, you know? Yeah. You said something really interesting that I want to like, just come back to briefly because I know we got to let you go, but you said, I, you know, I don't go to the mountains to escape things anymore. I just go because I love them. Do you think that's why, um, you know, early in the career there's escapism there's proving there's hubris there's ego and then all of a sudden when you shed that there's a lightness that almost you know um, metaphorically at least allows you to access the top of things more easily is is that what that is or is that something different it's definitely a big part of it. Um, I mean, obviously I, I started my career in the mountains because it was adventurous. I had no commitments. I wanted to see the world. I was learning so much every time I went out. And then there, then there came a point in my life where it was more of a struggle and there were things I just, I didn't want to deal with. And for sure, a lot of that had to do with the accident in 2010, which very adversely affected my marriage. Um, my my ability to sit still was severely compromised because I didn't want to sit still and think about this thing that had happened to in my life. And um, so I felt at that point I was more on the move out of necessity than out of love or passion or whatever you want to call it and always I've carried this chip on my shoulder to prove myself to be stronger to um, seek approval from others and I think at some point much in part because of that Burma expedition 
um, I over time learned to see that for what it was and shed it as best I can. And yes, it's, it's so ironic that when you stop overthinking stuff and when you stop pushing so hard against things, it's so much easier to actually do better <laughs> than what you were originally even striving for. It's, it's very ironic. Well, it's, it's been really beautiful to watch. <laughs> Thanks. It has. No, I mean, it really, yeah. really has. Uh, you, you have, I mean, of course, life is going to throw more curveballs at us. We're only halfway yes. through it. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, well, I'm like, are you even 30 yet? I mean, yeah, on. am I 30? <laughs> Just kidding. Right. I'm almost 40. <laughs> Whoa. Um, yeah, I know. Right. I'm going to turn 40 when we're, when we're tagging the top of our new route on Everest next year. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah. That's cool. That's, that's my, gonna be my fortieth birthday present to myself. I think that's a good birthday present. Yeah. So when I oh, I won't even tell you where I was on my fortieth birthday. I was in the same place. Where were you? This is another dark hole. I love so, dark holes. Well, after Everest, I came home and I broke both of my arms. Yeah. Yeah, elbows and wrists. Yeah. Yeah, and then a couple weeks later. My son crushed his leg under a filing cabinet. Right. Five. And then my dog got hit by a car. And that was how I spent my 40th birthday. I was sitting on the couch with two broken arms and a broken child and a broken dog. Did you cry? I cried a lot. Yeah. 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 But I mean, now I'm here. It's better. Yeah. Years <laughs> later, <all> better. right? <laughs> my arms work and everything. It's great. Six, six years later, it's like... Yeah. Uh, we just We're all setting. figured out how old you are. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. That was my whole goal the whole time yeah. is to actually say how old Hillary is. With, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> you actually gave me a year. I mean, 47, right? Yeah. Oh, dude. Shit. You're such a crusher. Well, we're so, I, I am so, pr I want to keep going for another hour because um, I think we could get even deeper, but I, we can reserve God. that for. Hillary's yeah, um, like, sausage. great. Yeah, no, I would love <laughs> to go deeper. Yeah, I thought I was coming on here to laugh with you guys. <laughs> no, we'll have you into the yeah, studio. Yeah, you guys are intense. Yeah, yeah. right? That's right. the point. Just intense. You've said it a lot. We do spend a lot of time intense and it's, yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> This is the worst dad joke. Oh, I like I your mountain a mountain film hat, by the way. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's it's a like nod to mountain 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 film. film. <laughs> yep. Making it work this last weekend. Man, yeah, they they pushed through that. That was cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yep. Did it good. Amazing time. Hopefully, it'll be live and hometown. in person next year. I hope so. It's I such an so. amazing gathering, you know, in person yeah. gathering. But yeah. Uh, well, thanks, Hillary. Thanks yeah, for giving us this you. hour of power. That was a power hour. Yeah, power we hour. got in some good stuff for sure. Um, I think there'll be lots of good takeaways in the show notes. Right. Uh, Let me know if you need any anything else, but I know Corey has has most of the photos. So. Oh, one one question. What, yeah. Have you been reading anything or any books that like? Because I think I think like you know, your transformation into this incredible place that you're in now. Um, was there anything you read during those times that you, that was transformational for you? And if not, no worries. I just like, we yeah, love to give I people. Mean, I wouldn't something. say I read it cover to cover, but I definitely pulled out the snippets from Brene Brown's 
um, her daring, daring greatly. Um, daring greatly. A friend gave me that book. I got a lot of books when I was going through the through my divorce about how to, how to come out the other side. Um, some were better than others, but uh, um, Brene. That's a great book. Brown's book was great. You know, All of her books, but that yeah. one. Yeah, that one was great. Awesome. Great. Well, we love you. Thanks for thanks for spending yeah. an hour with us. Yeah. Let's do it thanks. again. Yeah, Appreciate thanks. It. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Chris. Nice to see okay. you guys. You too. Be well. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Ciao. Thanks. Ciao. Thanks.